I'm going to take just a moment not to do a sermon, but just to talk. I want to tell a story. It's sobering. It's a bit horrifying, but it's a familiar one. And it's about a group of people just like you and me, moms and dads, grandparents, single adults, teenagers and students. It's a story about people just like us who were followers of Jesus and part of a local church. And I wanna tell a brief part of their story in hopes that it never becomes ours. It's the story of the Ephesians, those who called the great city of Ephesus their home. One of the greatest cities of the first century, a place with history attached to it. Mark Antony and Cleopatra spent time there. Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus, he declared it to be the capital of Asia. It became known as the light of Asia. The centerpiece of the city was a pagan temple dedicated to the goddess Diana. It was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was 425 feet long and 225 feet wide. It had 127 marble columns that went around the whole thing. And each column was 60 feet tall. It was the center of Ephesian life and it was at the heart of Ephesian pride. It was a bank, it was a temple. There in Ephesus, it, it was a city, if you live there, it was a city of great influence. It was a city that shaped the culture of politics and economics throughout the rest of the empire. And to be from Ephesus was to be part of a city that had a shaping force behind it. A city that was consequential and influential. And as far as influence and importance went, it was second only to the eternal city itself of Rome. So it should be no surprise that Paul, the apostle, set his eyes on Ephesus because to, to take the gospel to Ephesus would be tantamount to taking the gospel to Rome, which would be the equivalent of taking the gospel to much of the known world. Acts chapter 19 tells the story about how this church got its beginning. And it tells us how the apostle Paul, he came there at the height of Ephesus' golden age. And when he got there, he would go into the local synagogue and he would boldly and per, per, persuasively preach that Jesus was the Christ, the son of God who had died for our sins and who'd been buried and raised on the third day. If he wasn't in the synagogues, he was at the lecture halls, making a case that Jesus was the Christ because Paul believed that every person would spend forever somewhere. The apostle Paul believed that there was a reality called heaven and there was a reality called hell and that the gospel, the good news and Jesus was the only way to know life, to know forgiveness, to know how to be in a right relationship with your creator. And he believed that so much, he went around to these cities telling the good news because he believed it mattered. He believed it was of great consequence. And 
He did it in the synagogue. He did it at the lecture halls. And Acts 19.10 says, this went on for two years. So, to all, so that all the Jews and the Greeks in the province of Asia, that they heard the word of the Lord. I mean, things were happening. I mean, extraordinary things were happening. Miraculous things were happening. You can read Acts 19 and it, it was not cut of the mill. It was not status quo. It was not average. It was not mediocrity. This was something amazing that these men and women were getting to be a part of. This was something amazing that their families were getting to participate in. They themselves had gotten swept up into the kingdom of God and they were watching God do something extraordinary. They were at the crosshairs of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. They were in the middle of answered prayers and kept promises. Things were happening. The people were excited. I mean, who wouldn't be? They were excited about their faith. They were passionate about their faith. They'd never, perhaps if you had asked them back then in the first century, if you'd gone up to them, they would probably tell you, I've never felt such a sense of purpose in my life. I've never felt such a sense of fulfillment in my life. I've never felt like this before about anything before. This is the most exciting and the most important thing that I have ever been involved in. And it's going to be the most exciting and important thing that I'm ever gonna be involved in. That's probably what they would have told you. You would have seen their views and their values changing in front of your very eyes. How they saw the world was changing. Their ideals about what was right and good and best, those were changing. How they saw themselves, that was changing. How they saw each other, that was changing. How they saw everything, it was changing. Their thinking began to transcend just the selfish, individual, individualistic thinking that all of us are prone to. They were able to transcend just selfish, personal thinking and their thinking got broader. And they began to think as though they were part of a community. A community of faith, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a family. And they begin to realize that the choices that we make as individuals, it, it plays a role in the community because we're all connected and they begin to think as a community and they were better for it. They begin to think generationally. Moms and dads began to think about the faith of their sons and daughters and grandparents began to think about the faith of their grandsons and granddaughters and great-grandsons and great-granddaughters. Employers began to think about their employees and about their faith. Employees began to think about the people they work beside of every single day and they begin to wonder, I wonder what the status of their faith is. And it was the most significant thing that they'd ever been involved in. Everything was changing. And Paul would spend three years there. And then he left because the church is blowing and going. People couldn't wait to when the church gathered. And the church just wasn't about a place. No, the church has never been about a place. It was about a people. And when those people gathered together as the church, things were happening. And when the church scattered and those people began to live out their lives, all so consequential. Paul left, but a few years later, he wrote a letter back to them. It's called the book of Ephesians. And he commends them on their faith and love. He says, people are talking about your faith and your love everywhere I go. You're famous for how you believe God 
and how you love each other. And he congratulated them. He commended them for it. He encouraged them to keep their hearts soft and not to grow, not to grow calloused hearts like so many people in the culture of that day, but to cultivate soft hearts and receptive hearts, to constantly renew their minds, to use their words to build each other up rather than tearing each other down. He encouraged them to lay down their sins and their bitterness and their malice, but to be kind to one another and tenderhearted and forgiving one another as Christ had forgiven them. He encouraged them to imitate their father in heaven and to walk in love and to walk in light, to stay close to what was right and good and best. That's his letter. And the Ephesians, they would have some of the best church leadership in the history of early Christianity. From Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and Timothy and Onesiphorus and Tychicus and even the apostle John himself would be a voice of leadership in that church. But fast forward 40 years later and John is a prisoner of Rome on the island of Patmos and the Lord Jesus says to John, write to those Ephesians words from my heart. And John picks up his pen and he wrote to the Ephesians. And Jesus says to the Ephesians in Revelation 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You're busy, you're doing good. I mean, you got a lot of good things going on. It's not like you're back, <laughs> you're not a terrible person. You're working hard, you're persevering. You're doing a good work and you refuse to come down. You're doing a good work and you're refusing to come down. You refuse to quit. He says, I see your hard work. I see your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. The sin in your culture, it breaks your heart because you know it breaks the heart of your heavenly father. So I know you can't tolerate that. You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not. You, you have a grasp on some theology. Your doctrine's pretty good. You're students of the scripture. You can quote some verses. You know right from wrong. You can spot a counterfeit from the real thing. He says, I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. Hey, listen, you're moral. You got good things going on. You refuse to quit. You're a hard worker. You got tenacity. You've got grit. Your heart breaks from the sin of your culture. And you got a good handle on what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and you've not grown weary. I mean, this is good. Who wouldn't want it? Who wouldn't want that to be said of us by Jesus? But he gets to verse four and he says, yet I hold this against you. And many of you know what he's about to say. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You don't love me and you don't love each other like you used to. You're not as passionate as you once were. You're not as concerned as you once were. You're not as excited as you once were. Once upon a time, you couldn't wait for the opportunity to invite a friend, to invite a coworker. Once upon a time, 
You were praying for a friend. You were praying for a coworker. You were praying for a family member that was far from God and it was keeping you up. You were worried about them and you were thinking about it. It was a burden in your heart. Once upon a time, your faith felt fresh. It felt alive. It was vibrant. It was strong. Once upon a time, your faith was at the very center, but now it's been pushed to the corners. Your compassion has turned a bit cynical. People you used to felt compassion for, now you're just cynical about them. Your passion has turned to, to apathy, your commitment to complacency, your devotion has turned cold. Your faith, it just feels familiar. And what used to excite you no longer moves you. You've become like Israel at Sinai, just a bit bored with God. The extraordinary has become ordinary. You're standing in the middle of God's goodness and faithfulness. You're standing in the middle of answered prayer, on top of answered prayer, on top of answered prayer. But yet God feels so far away. And somehow you have forsaken the love you had at first. For some reason, in some way, you've allowed life to smother your faith. You've allowed life and busyness and distraction to steal your passion, to redirect your commitment, and to inhibit your involvement in the kingdom. And Jesus says, so consider, think about how far you've fallen or drifted. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, you'll cease to be light. You'll cease to be salt. You won't make a difference. Your church is no longer gonna be a force that sees the kingdom of God expand from every direction because of the people that love God and love each other more than anything else. So he says, take a moment and remember. For some of you, maybe remember how you used to wake up just a little bit early, make that coffee read a half a chapter, read a chapter, spend a moment. Remember how somehow you, you would pray about how to have a conversation with somebody because you weren't sure if they'd ever come to faith. And you would get so excited and so nervous and you were so conscientious of it. Remember how you, you were excited about being generous. You were excited about being able to see the kingdom of God grow in front of your very eyes. Remember how you, you, just, you just carried that faith around. And it, it was a weight that you felt. It was a weight that inspired you and it was a weight that influenced you. You loved being a part of the local church. You loved being a part of a faith family. You believed that God was a God who answered prayers, that the, that the impossible is indeed possible. But something happened. 
Something happened. And it's not like it used to be. So remember, remember that God's been good to you anyway. That God's been faithful to you anyway, gracious to you anyway. Remember that you are loved by God, chosen by God, adopted by God into his family, that once upon a time you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God who is rich in mercy with the love that he has loved us with, he has made us alive. He has quickened us in Christ Jesus. We have been saved by grace. We have been saved because of faith that we have placed in what God alone can do for us. And it's not of our works because if it were what we did, we would brag about it, but if it's because of what he did that we can take no credit in. Just think about that. He says, remember when you couldn't save yourself, he saved you. When you couldn't forgive yourself, he forgave you. When you couldn't pick yourself up, he helped you get back up. Don't forget that when they wandered away and you prayed and prayed and prayed, they came back. Don't forget those prayers that you prayed at the late night hour and you didn't even know if God was up there and God heard it, but somewhere along the way, and you may have not even noticed, he showed up and answered those prayers. Some of you are sitting beside an answered prayer this morning. Some of you rode in the car with some answered prayers this morning. So remember and return. Come back. We don't, want ha- we don't want what happened there to happen here. We don't want to get bored with God. We don't want to be a part of something extraordinary and it just become ordinary. Many of you are like me and like Allison. Your children have come to faith in this place through our church, through the influence of your family, your parenting, in partnership with your local church. For some of us, we've seen some of the greatest moments in our life happen as part of a local church, this local church. And we don't wanna drift where Jesus might say, you don't love me like you did at first. In just a moment, we're gonna receive communion together. And this communion is gonna be a tangible expression of our recommitment, of our rededication. I grew up in a church that would would offer an invitation for anybody who wants to rededicate their lives to come forward. The invitation today is that when we receive communion together as a church, one church in four different places, when we receive communion together, this is our expression of a recommitment. This is our expression of a rededication, a resolve to refocus, to realign our lives with what is most important to God, which is to love Him and love our neighbor and to see people come to faith. And in a moment, as you hold the bread and as you hold the cup, I want you to hold it until the very end when our campus pastors will lead us at every one of our churches to receive it together all at the same time. But as you hold the bread and as you hold that cup, I want you to remember. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember. I want you to remember that you are at the heart of God's goodness and faithfulness. 
You're standing upon answered prayers and kept promises. And today, we want to rededicate ourselves. We want to recommit ourselves in the areas where we may have drifted. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, speak. Father, would you uh, help us to be mindful of your goodness and faithfulness, answered prayers, kept promises. Let us remember maybe what our faith was once like, the excitement that maybe we once had, the passion that we once had. God, remind us of that. And then let us heed the words of Jesus where he says, go and do what you did in the beginning. Whatever that was, whatever it looked like, speak to us, Lord. May this be a holy moment, a moment when you speak into our hearts, a moment where this is not something that the preacher is leading us to do. This is something we, we take personal responsibility to do. To recommit and rededicate ourselves to you as individuals and as a church. Remind us of your love and grace. Remind us of your mercy in the words of Paul that he says, I beg you by the mercies of God that you become who God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. In Jesus' name.